Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Integrating Advances in HR-Positive HER2-Negative Early Breast Cancer, a focus on targeted adjuvant regimens. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Lilly. Hello, my name is Sarah Hurwitz. I'm a medical oncologist from Los Angeles, California, and joining me today is Professor Miguel Martin, also a medical oncologist from Madrid. Welcome, Miguel. Thank you, Sarah. Dr. Martin, can you please tell us about some of the key factors that you assess in your practice to determine whether there is a high or low risk of recurrence? I think that we could define the prognostic and predictive factors into groups, anatomical factors and biological factors. Among the anatomical factors, the most important one is still the status of the axillary nodes. In zero, in one, in two, in three, there is a clear correlation between the extent of axillary involvement, and the prognosis of the patient. Among the biological factors, we should consider gray K67, the proliferation factor, the expression of estrogen and progesterone receptors, the age of the patient, and lately genomic profiles such as oncotype and intrinsic subtype luminal A versus B. Sarah, could you elaborate a little bit more about K67? Absolutely. KI67 can be detected through the use of an immunohistochemical stain, and pathologists can also have variability in the way that they assess KI67. We do know from multiple clinical trials like this study, the soft text phase three randomized study of endocrine therapy in premenopausal women, that if you classify patients based on the percent expression of KI67 in their tumor, you can see it is actually quite prognostic, such that those patients with a low KI-67, less than 20%, have the best distant relapse-free survival. But as you go up and see those patients whose KI-67 is greater than 26%, their prognosis is associated with a worse chance of distant relapse-free survival. So it is something that some clinicians will use in addition to the prognostic factors you mentioned, nodal status and other factors, progesterone receptor status and genomic assays to help us assess how high risk a patient's disease is for recurrence and whether or not chemotherapy or other targeted therapies may be beneficial in reducing the risk of breast cancer recurrence. In the next section, let's discuss which oral targeted adjuvant treatment options are available for patients with high risk, hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative, early breast cancer. In this session, we will review the oral targeted therapies that are currently approved in the adjuvant setting for the treatment of high-risk hormone receptor positive HER2-negative early breast cancer. Adjuvant abemocyclid in combination with endocrine therapy has been approved for high-risk disease, both in the United States as well as in Europe. 
patients are eligible to receive abemaciclib if they have a high risk of recurrence, which by the FDA is defined as having at least four positive axillary nodes, or for those with one to three positive nodes, a tumor that is at least five centimeters in size or grade three. The ASCO guidelines also incorporate the ability of making a patient eligible for abemaciclib if they have one to three positive nodes or KI-67 of at least 20%. And the European guidelines follow fairly similarly the recommendations of the FDA. In addition to the use of abemaciclib, we also have available adjuvant alaparib. In the United States, alaparib is approved for early-stage deleterious germline BRCA-mutated HER2-negative high-risk breast cancer, which can include either triple-negative or ER-positive breast cancer that's been treated with chemotherapy before or after surgery. In Europe, alaparib is approved for early-stage HER2-negative breast cancer with high risk of recurrence and germline BRCA1 or 2 mutations. Given the recent approval of alaparib, it is important to assess patients' germline BRCA mutation status. Dr. Martin, can you tell us which patients should get tested for BRCA1 and 2? Several guidelines, international guidelines like ESMO and NCCN guidelines, provide recommendations for testing for germline ERCA1 and 2 mutations. In general, these guidelines include intense family history of breast and ovarian cancer, particularly in patients with diagnosis earlier than 50 years old, and more recently, other cancers like pancreatic cancer and prostate cancer. Anyway, these guidelines are usually made to identify families at high risk, but now we have oleparif as a targeted therapy for patients with mutations in BRCA1 and 2, and I think that we are going to test more patients apart from the recommendations of guidelines, particularly those with high-risk features. In the next session... Let's take a look at the efficacy data of oral targeted adjuvant therapies for patients with high-risk hormone receptor positive or to negative early breast cancer. First, let's review the efficacy data on abemaciclib. Abemaciclib is a CDK46 inhibitor of proven efficacy in the metastatic setting and has been tested in the adjuvant setting in the MONARCH-E study. In that study, patients at very high risk with hormone receptor positive or to negative early breast cancer, and that means patients with four or plus axillary nodes involved or one to three plus an additional high-risk criteria, grade three, tumor over 50 centimeters, K67 over 20. Those patients were randomized to receive endocrine therapy alone or endocrine therapy plus abemaciclib after the end of adjuvant chemotherapy and surgery plus minus radiation. And the results were clearly positive in favor of the abemacyclic arm for a hazard ratio for invasive disease-free survival of 0.653, highly significant, and an absolute improvement in invasive disease-free survival of 6% in favor of abemacyclic. 
An important finding of this study is the relevance of K67. K67 was determined centrally, and you can see in the slide that it was prognostic but not predictive. Patients with high K67 had a worse prognosis overall, but both patients with K low and K high get a benefit from abemacycline therapy. Dr. Harvich, please tell us how this data compares with what observed with Olatoriv in the adjuvant setting. Of course, Olaparib was evaluated in the adjuvant setting in the phase three randomized placebo-controlled Olympia clinical trial in which over 1,800 patients who had germline pathogenic or likely pathogenic BRCA1 or 2 mutations were randomly assigned to receive Olaparib for a year or placebo after completing their systemic chemotherapy. Patients had to have HER2-negative high-risk disease, which included both hormone receptor-positive or triple-negative, and had to have stage 2 to 3 breast cancer or a lack of complete response to neoadjuvant therapy. And as you can see, the patients treated with Olaparib had a significantly improved invasive disease-free survival with a delta of 8.8% at three years and 7.3% at four years. Moreover, and importantly, the overall survival was also significantly improved with Olaparib in this clinical trial. With a hazard ratio of 0.68, there was a statistically significant improvement of approximately 3.8% by four years in patients treated with Olaparib. In the next session, let's look at the safety data of oral targeted adjuvant therapies for patients with high-risk hormone receptor positive, HER2-negative early breast cancer. First, let's take a look at the safety profile of abemocyclib. Common adverse events associated with adjuvant abemocyclib include diarrhea and neutropenia. It's notable that although the majority of patients do have some grade of diarrhea, the majority is grade one or two. However, patients should have antidiarrheals on hand at home and be advised that this is a possible side effect. You'll note that the rates of neutropenia are lower with abemocyclib than we've seen with other CDK4-6 inhibitors in the metastatic setting. Serious adverse events associated with the bemocyclid include venous thromboembolic events, which occurred on the order of 1% to 2% in this clinical trial, as well as an uncommon rate of interstitial lung disease, which is a side effect associated with all of the CDK4-6 inhibitors. Overall, diarrhea and neutropenia are the most common adverse events associated with adjuvant abemocyclib, and so I think it is important for us to be aware of it when we're initiating therapy in our patients with high-risk HER2-negative hormone receptor-positive disease. Dr. Martin, what are some of the common side effects that we see in our patients with adjuvant elaborate? The most common adverse events associated with olaparib in the Olympia study were nausea and vomiting, so gastrointestinal, and fatigue. Nausea accounted for around 57% of the patients, also only less than 1% was grade 3, while fatigue accounted for around 40% of patients with 2% grade 3 or greater. An additional side effect is anemia in terms of melosuppressive effects, affecting to 23% of patients, 9% grade 3. A very interesting finding is that Velaparif did not induce more 
myelodysplastic syndromes or acute myeloid leukemia than the placebo. This was a concern in the past when the study was started, and fortunately, this finding was not confirmed. Olaparif does not induce more myeloid or leukemia or second cancers than the placebo. In the next session, let's review some strategies to manage side effects and improve adherence to oral targeted adjuvant therapies. When managing side effects, dose adjustment is a key consideration for both abemacyclic and olaparif. Dr. Harvard, when do you consider dose adjustments with these oral targeted adjuvant therapies in your practice? Thank you, Miguel. This is a really critical issue when considering our patients are coming off extensive systemic therapy as well as local therapy for their high-risk disease. Some of our patients are going to benefit from dose adjustments. In terms of abemacyclib, dose adjustment can be considered for refractory diarrhea, increased liver enzymes, and relevant hematologic and non-hematologic toxicities. While patients start at 150 milligrams twice daily, the first dose reduction would be to 100 milligrams twice daily, and a second dose reduction down to 50 milligrams twice daily. In terms of elaparib, dose adjustment can be considered for nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and anemia, and we should be avoiding concomitant use of strong and moderate CYP3A4 inhibitors and inducers. The first dose reduction would be down to 250 milligrams twice daily and further dose reduction down to 200 milligrams twice daily. It is also important to discuss the importance of adherence with our patients. Can you tell us, Dr. Martin, how do you ensure that patients are adhering to their treatment? Sure, Sarah. There are several strategies to improve adherence oral targeted therapies First, we should emphasize the relevance of therapy adherence, emphasizing the efficacy of the treatment and insisting that the prognosis will improve with the correct administration of the drug. We should inform the patient very carefully about the potential side effects in order for her to be aware of when and how relevant could these side effects be. So we should listen also to the patient perspective. And finally, we should provide the patient with strategies to managing side effects. We should tell the patient that all these side effects could be relieved with several strategies, including concomitant therapy, for instance, in the case of diarrhea induced by and also with those adjustments, if necessary. So, as conclusions of our program, identifying patients with high-risk hormone receptor-positive or to negative early breast cancer is essential to provide them with the best option for cure. Yes, I couldn't agree more. We now have these two agents available for our high-risk patients, but it's very important for us to monitor them for safety and secure good adherence to therapy, as this is crucial in ensuring that patients are achieving the maximum therapeutic benefit. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.